0: Hey everybody, happy new year, happy 2023, and while I would love to go into all the things I'm doing and pitching, this is a bonus episode, so let's just get to the content. So no doubt you may be thinking about setting some resolutions this year, or goals, and you absolutely may detest the entire concept around goals and resolutions, and let me be honest, I have found myself more in that latter camp for many, many years, until that is, I found the therapeutic modality that I praise on a daily basis, my beloved acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, because ACT even makes setting goals or making New Year's resolutions an absolutely achievable experience because it really matters what you're choosing to want to do because it has to be based off of what it feels like to be you and only you because may I remind you, my wonderful podcast listeners, that you are one unique person. Holy cow. Are you unique? And I'm not talking in the way where somebody wanted to set you up with their, their best friend's cousin and you asked, hey, what are they like? And the answer you got was, you know, they're, they're a really nice person. They're kind of unique. No, this is the unique as in you are literally the only DNA-based chromosomal version of you right down to your, you guessed it, your nature and your nurture, your aforementioned DNA from your, your abandonment and attachment issues to your hopes and dreams and your wins and your losses, even down to the things that you pay attention to and what you read and you see and you hear. Because you are absolutely you. And because of that, the goals, the things that matter to you, they have to legitimately matter to you. And if you want to set a new year's resolution to run three days a week, and you really don't care for running, then that's a really tough ask. And quite frankly, I think you may be setting yourself up Not only just for a bit of failure, but then you will actually have, I almost want to call it a net negative effect, an overall negative experience with the entire resolutions and goal setting process. But if you like, let's say, hypothetically weighted hula hooping, but just never wanted to order a 20 pound weighted hula hoop because you're afraid people will make fun of you. And okay, I walked in on a business partner once who was doing said weighted hula hoop while balancing on a hotel bed, which I get it, probably helps strengthen your core even more. Well, sure, I can't unsee that, but he was doing his thing. So today I am rerunning a large chunk of an episode from last year where I brought on a a good friend and a business associate, Neil Hooper. And Neil and I had spent months, literally months prior to the recording of this episode, implementing ACT principles into the goal setting research that he had done not only in grad school, but also during his time as a trainer in corporate America before he ventured out on his own and we crossed paths again. We had actually met when he was uh, a youth. So this episode is in the top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time on the virtual couch. And we're talking out of millions and millions of downloads and 354 episodes. So I know it has resonated with people. So if you haven't heard it, you're going to get a lot out of it. And if you have, well, the chances are, because uh, the mechanisms of memory are what they are, you most likely don't remember, uh, probably as much of it as you may think you do. No offense. And what you do remember, well, let's see how your memory did. did. Did you remember the data and the methods and the processes that we talked about correctly? And uh, and, and I will say three things. First, just go sign up at tonyoverbay.com for my newsletter because there's a lot of cool things coming and coming soon, a really a bunch of cool things. And if you can, go follow me on Instagram at tonyoverbay LMFT for licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as on Facebook at tonyoverbay licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm over there on LinkedIn and also uh, TikTok at virtual couch. And that's because my amazing social media people at the yeah, yeah Agency are doing their thing. They're generating content and putting up videos and reels and we're having questions and answers and there are videos up there about marriage and parenting and narcissism and emotional immaturity, you name it, and and all coming and then some of it is already there. And last but not least, uh, go to my Virtual Couch YouTube channel. And if you don't mind, while you're here, just hit that little subscribe button. But just go watch a three-minute video. I put it out a few days ago and it's entitled Something Like, I probably should have had this ready, but something like somebody digs you and they wanna send you something. And the premise is that you may want to send somebody a podcast. And I'm not talking about just mine, but it might be about a topic that is important to you. It could be one of mine about anxiety or depression or marriage tips, but you are afraid that if you send this, it will offend somebody, but you wanna send it because you really do care about them. Or you may wanna send somebody something because you think, that it will help them understand your situation better. So go watch that video and then send it to the person that you also want to send a podcast to, and it will pave the way, it'll smooth the waters, I promise. So all right, Happy New Year, my friends, but let's truly make this year pretty darn special. Okay, let's get to the interview with Neil Hooper. So coming up on today's show, I'm interviewing somebody that I really am legitimately a huge fan of, and you'll hear why, his name is Neil Hooper. And you're going to hear a little bit more about how Neil and I met and the role that Neil has played behind the scenes in my life. And then we are going to talk about goals. And this is significant today. I don't want you to turn the dial, even though I know that that is not a thing. But stick around because this is not your average yearly New Year's resolution talk. Oh, no, we break down everything that you've ever thought about goals. And I think you're really going to enjoy this one. And yes, I just was not the biggest fan of setting goals because I got to this point with using the acceptance and commitment therapy model where people would set goals. They would set socially compliant goals. They would set goals they think that they were supposed to set. And then life would happen. And since they really weren't, it wasn't a value-based goal, then they would find themselves doing all kinds of other things other than that goal. And then they could even beat themselves up about wanting to set goals or then compare themselves with others. I don't know if you've had that experience, but Neil and I break it down so well. And I think you're really going to enjoy this today. Let's get to this episode with my friend, Neil Hooper. Neil Hooper. It
1: say.
0: So it can't. Anyway. Action. Recording has started just like that, Neil. Oh, how exciting. I know. I know. I want to welcome my dear old friend, dear, dear friend, <laughs> Neil Hooper to the virtual couch. And it has really been a long time coming. Neil, welcome to the virtual couch. I am so
2: excited to be here, Tony. It has been a long time coming, and I can't tell you how thrilled and excited I am to be here.
0: Yeah. A lot of people know that Neil, was you've you been a pretty integral part of the last couple of years of my life and helped me up my virtual couch game and my website game, helped me update my Path Back course to the Path Back 2.0, which now has a group of people that are working on turning away from unhealthy coping mechanisms. That's all thanks to Neil. And so it really is an honor to have you on here. I would talk about you in behind the scenes or my guy or my behind the scenes guy, Neil, and and I would give people to say, who is this Neil? So... (laughs) <laughs> he
2: now you're finally pulling back the curtain and unveiling no that's very kind of you i feel like you have been is equally a part of my life for the last few years and going even further back than that and you've really helped me refine so much of what i'm doing i not to make this some kind of like, i know right <laughs> <laughs> keep telling me how great i am Neil. I'm you <laughs> yeah. or how great you are yeah, everybody knows Tony's ego is not big enough. So we need to inflate it <laughs> oh, yes, a little right. more. <laughs> That's not, oh, yes, I got a snort. Was that was my to, goal. I was like, back to back, right
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, no, but really, it is such an honor to be here. And I'm so excited to talk about all these things because there really is so much synergy behind the projects so that we're doing together. Mm-hmm. But then separately, there's just so many cool things. And
0: I can't wait to get your perspective and to share a little bit about that. We're talking about your one of your favorite things, goals. And I really appreciate the, we've had hours of conversations around goals and goal setting. And I'm very open about the fact that I think you've helped me get back to a place of a healthy way to set goals. And so I don't know if we want to start on a little bit of a journey of how we started talking about goals and where you started in that regard and then how we collaborated because it really has helped me a lot. And I really feel like we've put some acceptance and commitment therapy along with your ideas of the goal setting. And I really feel like we've created the chocolate meets peanut butter kind of moment.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Right? And absolutely is. I would love to start there. And so just to give a little background of my journey and my passion for goal setting, gosh, it really has been close to eight years now that I, wow. it was eight years ago and I really kind of went down this journey of trying to figure out how to consistently and confidently set, pursue and achieve goals because Everything that I was taught and that most people were doing and uh, they just weren't effective. And so I remember it was about eight years ago. I was kind of at this turning point professionally and otherwise. I got my first big boy job here in Salt Lake. And I wanted to really level up. I remember the SMART goals. Everyone knows what a SMART goal is. And- what
0: are they Talk about? <laughs> those. Yeah, so about? Right. I remember one of the first times where you said, you know, SMART goals, right? And I remember feeling very uh, yes. so far away from goal setting. I had gotten altogether. So yeah, what are those? That, and that's good. A refresher,
2: if you don't remember, or for those that aren't familiar with SMART goals, a SMART goal, it's an acronym to set a good goal. And this has been a gold standard for mm-hmm. a long time. But the acronym stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Time-bound, okay. it, it, which sounds great. And it's a good starting point. And we can dive more into this maybe a little later. I'll just touch on it now. But SMART goals, they're a thing. They've been kind of this gold standard, but they just they didn't work for me. And I've found over the years that a lot of people who set SMART goals just don't see the results that they're hoping for. And we can get into the why in just a minute, but I'll just go with the story here. I did this deep dive, like literally every week I had this plan and I would research articles and studies. And so over the years, I started formulating this process for setting goals and identifying where the gaps were in the strategies and tactics that people were using and especially SMART goals, but there's all kinds of other methods and approaches and then fast forward, he just been a passion, refining New Year's resolutions. Another thing, very good timing for this episode. Yeah. But people are always surprised to learn that I don't set New Year's resolutions.
0: Which okay. is, and again, maybe which is into a little bit of your background. And this is I was wanting to I love that you're starting with the story and I wanted to have it then give us little offshoots of who Neil is, because you are what I love about this is You are someone that is a very positive person. You are somebody that has been very goal oriented. You've achieved a lot in your life. And so I often do feel like people think if only I was more positive, if only I did achieve these certain things, then I would be happy. And so I feel like you're a good example of you. You have achieved a lot. You've worked hard to get where you are. So maybe even do a little deep dive on what was your, give me a little bit about your teenage years, talk a little bit about college, talk about some of those things and what got you to where you are. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah, that that's fair enough. That's very kind of you. Yeah, and in the call it, it was so let's go to high school first. Group broken family, mother, single mother, five kids with clinical depression. Pretty everything that came along with that was it was kind of heavy. I didn't see a lot firsthand, any sort of healthy goal setting or productivity stuff. And so I think almost out of necessity, almost kind of out of survival, I had to. Kind of figure out how to structure my life in a way. And so I think early on, some of those obstacles really, really served as a catalyst for me needing craving that structure and craving some kind of aspiration. And my mother's one of my heroes and she, she did an amazing job given the circumstances, but that was really the foundation, which was really shaky, honestly. But then I came across some amazing people. I don't know if you want to include this or not, but you were one of the people actually in my youth that we crossed paths very early on. And I remember you shared a few things at a fireside that were actually really helpful as well. But aside from that, I found some youth groups that were really helpful. But from there, kind of go off on my own and I go to college and really didn't have any support. And again, out of necessity, had to find these and develop these processes to to have that structure in order to achieve. And I, I look back and I'm very grateful that I was able to achieve quite a bit given my circumstances. And again, this is where it gets uncomfortable. You feel like you're dragging a little bit, but it's interesting because from that eight-year period that I mentioned, you know, got really intentional, started setting goals, Got married, got a big boy job and then that you know, another job and kind of leveled up there, went back to school, got a double master's degree in HR and an MBA at Utah State, had kids, got recruited to work at a fortune 100 company. So I had achieved quite a bit actually yeah. at this point. But the interesting thing is I woke up in the midst of all this achievement and I was actually miserable. Wow. And. So this is where it gets interesting and where our story
0: kind of connects again. Yes,
2: I don't know if, if that was the direction you were
1: yeah, you absolutely. were wanting to no, go I with love- that.
0: Really appreciate your vulnerability because what I love so much about your story is I know you as this person that every time we talk you lift me up and I get excited about it. And every now and again it is almost I go back and remember have played maybe a little bit of a role in your youth and your and I knew your mom well and she was an amazing okay. lady and your brothers all of you were just very ambitious. And it was really amazing to see. And so to be able to reconnect with you as an adult, as a big boy, and then hear your story and then your vulnerability, I think is what really maybe drew me to you and wanting us wanting to work closely, more closely with you. And
2: it was such perfect timing because here I was working at a Fortune 100 company, realizing I was pretty miserable. And not only was I not happy, but I had slipped back into some hard things in terms of not having the mental health that I want, not having the physical health that I want. My relationships weren't doing as well. And so it was interesting that I had achieved so much and I did have these systems in place. But I remember listening to The Virtual Couch, which now here I am on The Virtual Couch, which is so fun. I remember an episode where you talked about social compliance and how if there's not that alignment with your goals it's all that stuff slips in and it yeah. and it's easy to for your mental health to take a wrong turn. And my brother had done a little bit of work for you on the side. And
0: then, okay, okay. if I'm never talking about that, can I just say, <laughs> yeah, please? I love, I love your brother to death. And I had, I tried to do my own website for a long time. And this is even one of those things where talk about socially compliant goal. I was doing it because I figured I had to, or I, I should know how to do my own website, or I, but really I, I had no interest in doing it myself. So I would just kick that can down the road over and over again. All that experiential avoidance. I would find every other thing to do. So then I just impulsively dumped a large sum of money on somebody that said they would guarantee this amazing website and they didn't deliver. And then I was even feeling more like, what's wrong with me? And I reached out to your brother and he was amazing and he took the thing that I already had and he made it so much better. But he would always say, OK, for copyright and that sort of thing, I'm going to run it by Neil. Do you remember Neil? I'm like, I totally remember Neil. What's <laughs> Neil up to? And so I was just hearing in this, Neil's captain of industry. Neil's killing it. That's okay. <laughs> right. And so then, and then it was the elusive Neil where I kept finding out more. And I would, sometimes I would say to, to your brother, Riley, I'd say, hey, I'd love to talk to, to Neil sometime. I could probably use a little help punching some things up. And so that's, I feel like the way that then I was led to you. But I didn't even know till right now that you, during that process, were listening to some of those episodes and resonating with them.
2: Yeah, I did. And it's so fun because... It was like this door opened up where you had this need, yeah, and I was able to insert myself selfishly. I was like, hey, yeah, I'll do that. I'll help Tony. And And yeah, that's kind of how it started. And I guess that's worth mentioning that on the side, kind of early on, I'd say about six months into my corporate job in Chicago, that I realized, I'm not sure if this is what I want to be doing. And so I actually started moonlighting and side hustling a digital marketing business in web design. And so that was, I was setting myself up without knowing it to be able to come and really partner with you and help you out with some things. And then a lot of other cool things later on the road. So that's, yeah, so that's where we cross paths again and reconnected. And it was so fun because then you fast forward a little bit longer, we helped you with some things, get your website, the first website in better shape. And then it got to the point in my job where I discovered that I was giving into social compliance and I had achieved a lot of things, but mm. I wasn't happy because there was that misalignment between deep yeah. down, really what I wanted and craved and what I was doing. And that's an important concept that I, that informs everything I do now with the goal coaching and the accountability groups and stuff that I run is you have to have that alignment. And if you don't, you're setting yourself up for failure and misery because you're not going to be able to sustain your drive. You're deep down not excited about what you're trying to achieve. And that's just a recipe for mediocrity,
0: unhappiness and all those things. So I, and I'd love to jump at You're nailing this. And so at that time, I, you would help me revamp the path back and make that a whole different thing, which is helping so many people. And then you had suggested doing a group call. And I remember telling you that, yeah, I'm cool with that, but I haven't really ran one. I mean, i, was, I here now I'm going to sound egotistical, but I love speaking. I've spoken literally all over the world. I love doing podcasts. I'll go on anybody's podcast, but then I don't know. I wasn't sure how to work within a, like a group call for helping people overcome addictive behaviors. And so you would come in and say, well, I'll set you up. I'll be the guy that says, welcome, everybody. And here's the rules and get me your questions. And so you, you did that for a few weeks and it was so helpful. It helped me so much. And that group's just flourishing now. But then I, this is how I remember it. You had said, hey, could you take a look at this program that I'm putting together and give me your honest therapist feedback? And the reason I wanted to tell that whole story is there really was a moment of truth there, Neil, that I don't know if I ever shared with you where I was reading all of the things that you would put together and they were wonderful things, but I think it goes back to when we were talking about the smart, smarter goals earlier, Mm -hmm. the smart goals that I felt like it was a lot of just the stuff that sounds great and gets people, gets them a little dopamine bump and they say, I'm going to do it. And then they do and they say, okay, what do I need to do? And then they follow along until then they realize, okay, man, this isn't, I'm not doing it anymore. Something must be wrong with me instead of looking at it of saying, oh, this must not be important or matter to me. And so in that group, then Neil had asked me if, okay, if he was going to spend some time on my group, could I jump into one of his first groups? And I would just sit back and observe and it was brilliant for me. And so up to that point, I really had, I was at this mindset of that setting goals is a recipe for failure and that things like New Year's, people would say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to read 12 books this year. Sounds great. But then I knew that by February or March, when they're already at, least still haven't finished their first book now they were saying okay i'm never going to hit 12 and so then it's going to be i might yeah. not do any more i'm not going to read anything else and i'm going to wait till next year and so i remember one of those conversations we had where it was like okay i'm starting to work these act principles in and okay well if reading really is a core value then how about i'm going to have a value based goal of reading every day period and then and i real and i remember one of these moments where that smart there was what was it measurable and, and all that stuff and i thought mm-hmm. Ooh, what if in the act world though it's i don't care if you read a paragraph that then you are going to continue to read throughout the year. And then I really felt like I have the data that says, and actually you may end up reading 14 books. If the goal is a value-based goal of reading and the art of gaining knowledge and the vehicle is reading for example. Um, so anyway, so I don't know what if you were, did you feel like I was poo-pooing your ideas early on or just that yeah. <laughs> like?
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't say poo-pooing. but It was this beautiful, like you said, the chocolate and peanut butter coming together because I was really focused and you helped refine so much of what I was doing because there is that tendency to get so focused on the execution piece and the mechanics of it that when the psychology, the shame starts to creep in, that was something that I hadn't quite figured out yet that you really helped me refine as well because I had this great goal-setting system that I'd love to share a little more details about as well. But then it was really you coming in and helping infuse the act, the acceptance commitment stuff, where it was like, instead of setting this rigid goal, let's insert some flexibility, let's make Mm -hmm. sure it's aligned. And that was really where I started infusing those principles. And experiencing them firsthand, and that was actually kind of fun being through this partnership and all of this discovery with ACT and really understanding that I actually decided to leave that corporate Mm -hmm. job in Chicago and partner with you and really help you build out your programs and then now build out what today is Achievement Tribe, which is really exciting and kind of a more polished version of the programs I was working on in the past. But yeah, yeah how, that, scary,
0: how scary was that though? That leap, honestly, and this is so fun. Neil, we've talked so much, but I didn't, I wouldn't even, I didn't talk about some of these things. But when you said, okay, yeah, if you could use some extra help, I'm in. And by the way, I'm quitting my job and moving. And I remember thinking, oh, Neil, not for me. But I mean, look, yeah, look how I even made all that about myself. That was kind of fun. <laughs> no, and,
2: and this is great. Oh, yes, another snort. Okay, and really, if I'm being totally transparent. You were in a big way. You were a ticket out of that corporate America situation mm. that I was in because you helped me. You also helped me launch the happiness playbook podcast, yeah, which has, which is has so been a phenomenal. huge, yeah. which has been so fun. And you just mentored me and coached me in the podcast world as well. But then, and then partnering and helping with those projects really set me up to to have that confidence, say, okay, here's something that I'm passionate about. Here's something I can pay the bills. And I got some more projects lined up that were helping me bridge the gap. But it really was that partnership that helped me take that leap of faith. And it's funny, it was scary. I have a family. We had were three newborn at the time. So to leave a cushy, well-paying corporate job in Chicago to just blaze your own trail. It was scary, but the passion through that alignment over the fear. And it was just really exciting more than anything. But yeah, that was because I knew I had awesome people like Tony Overbay. You're rooting for me. Oh, yeah, I really
0: was. And it's funny when you just mentioned your family, then of course, I just immediately thought of your amazing wife. And then it hit me that I've been talking about the you helping with the website and the path back. But holy cow, you helped Preston and I put together the magnetic marriage course. And then you and your wife were in that first round and that thing, now we're on round three and we're, it's changing lives. And you had a certain set of skills, as they say, to have <laughs> that course together as well. I mean, you really are, yeah, you were really good at what you do with that. And and I even remember it was pretty quickly, I felt like that you, you had a lot of opportunity in front of you. Was that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um yeah, a lot. In fact, too much. But yeah. What, what are the principles we talk about on the Happiness Playbook is accepting Bill which is also called Yes And in the applied improv world. And it's you kind know, of this idea of accepting and validating, building on what comes your way up. Sometimes I'm a little too good at that. And not it's, it can get me in trouble. But yeah, thankfully, we've been incredibly blessed
0: in that regard as well. And I think it's interesting. I, I have to do a little tangent. This would be fun, Neil. I didn't even think about all the things we can talk about here. But the Yes And, you were a big part of it. The improv troupe. You acted young. You've got a viral video out there of you doing parkour.
1: no. <laughs> you know.
0: Which one of those do you want to tackle first? The improv. How, 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 were you in a pretty successful
2: improv troupe? Oh, yeah. So for those who are familiar with play theory, obviously, and out there in California, Take Note Troupe was where I kind of yeah. got my grounds. But then when I came out here to Utah, we actually started a group in Salt Lake. And it got pretty big. At one point, we were doing live shows once a month and getting about 300 people to show up to those that was a lot of fun but more so than the performance aspect of that it was doing the workshops and applying the principles okay that was really the fun part for me and if you tune into the happiness playbook you'll get you'll be able to do a deep dive on all of the applied improv and play theory stuff but yeah that that was a huge part as well to this story just having those principles as a foundation to kind of be adaptive and flexible as life throws its curveballs your way. But yeah, it's
0: play playthrough is a huge part of it. Well, and I'm sure that I will have said this in the opening that I haven't recorded yet, but we're doing a home and away podcast. And so I when I hope everyone will go listen to the Happiness Playbook because that is a, talk about a, a dose of joy and something to pick you up. And then I really love the fact that, and we'll talk about it on yours. I'm going on your podcast next. <laughs> but there's just some, what I really love is you guys do a great job of how to apply those principles in on a day-to-day basis or in your life. And so yeah. I really feel like that my podcast can get a little long at times. And I always love the viewers. is so you guys just get to the point. You have good guests, you have great examples and I will, i now am very confident that I will apply something from your podcast. If anybody right now has not heard it, please go immediately and subscribe and listen to our episode there. That'll be a lot of fun.
2: That's awesome. It's only gotten that far because you've helped us out. So Let's see. I'm trying to get your ego just so big. You're not going to
0: be oh, able. I'm, bit too I'm getting your them own way up. Yeah, I mean, very. <laughs> uh, so let's get back to goals because I really want yeah. you to talk more about. We've talked a little bit about shame. I want to address that. Why do people hate setting goals? I feel like I don't know if it's just gotten worse with the rise of more. Again, I'm going to sound like the old man. Get off my lawn. But the more social media, already people are talking about their New Year's goals, and I feel like there's polarity. There's polarity in everything right now, and yes. so I really do feel like it's even to the point where people are either. I'm going to set all the goals. And other people are saying, I will do no goals. None yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Why, do people, yeah. why do people hate setting them? Well,
2: I also found that camp for a long time. I was in that camp of, I, I don't like goal setting. And we've all had bad experiences, but it really boils down to this. We're using ineffective, outdated goal setting tactics that just don't work. And we already yeah. poo pooed on SMART goals. And anyone who knows me knows that I am very confident in saying they don't work. SMART yeah. goals do not work. And it's not because they're bad. It's because they're incomplete. And so this is where it gets fun because over the years, all the research I did and in my master's program, I actually did a deep dive with some of the PhDs and org behavior, you know, up at Utah State, we came up with two key ingredients that are missing from almost all goals. And it's so simple. A SMART goal, you go through the list of the acronym, it's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time bound. The problem is, all of that is the what. But the two ingredients that actually impact your drive is the why and the how. And so there's some cool research that was done at Clemson University with some undergrad students. There's about 499 students and these professors in relation to educational goals researched hundreds of factors to try to nail down what were the factors that impacted their drive toward their goals. And they narrowed it down to two ingredients. And that is perceived value in the goal and perceived capability in achieving the goal. And those are the two key ingredients that are missing from most goals. And that's why most people have a bad experience. They set this goal, they get really specific, the health goals are a big one, right? I'm going to yeah. lose this many pounds. And, but there's no, the why, that perceived value in the goal is not articulated and captured. And that's a problem because when you start wobbling, if you don't have an articulated why to reground in, again, going back to that alignment and really why it's important to you, yeah. and that's an important part of that. Then you're gonna
0: you're gonna keep wobbling and not be driven. And and the I tell way, you. I don't lose place there. But I'm the laughing because again, man, am I that egotistical? I'm sitting there thinking. I think you've probably told me these things before, and I've been saying. And I think I was. Yes, you're saying words, Neil. But let me tell you how it really is. But I feel like, in essence, I, that Clemson University research is spot on. Obviously, because it's very research based. But the, the act principles of you must be in alignment with your value, and that value is why it's important to you. I think mm-hmm. is exactly what you're talking about. And then the next yeah. one, it has to be, what did you say, attainable or something that you can't It's do? your perceived capability. Perceived capability. And that's mm-hmm. where I feel like, again, that falls right in line, that social compliance around goals. So if somebody yeah. is saying that I'm going to, I, cause I was going to have everyone become ultra marathon runners when I became a therapist and <laughs> there have been very few, if any of my clients who've gone on to do that. <laughs> and I feel like some of that is the, it is their, is it a value of theirs? Period. And then is it, what's their perceived ability to do that? That's something that they feel like, okay, number one, I don't think I want to go run a hundred miles through the woods. And number two, I don't know that I could even do that if I, and I feel like that's a perfect example of if I'm saying, hey, you can do anything you put your mind to and you just got to want it. And you just got to, that does get somebody to get that dopamine bump. And they're like, yeah, I can do this. And then when they go home and then they realize, okay, I don't even want to do this. Do I, what's wrong with me? Tony said, it's cool. I felt good in his office, but now I don't want to go run a hundred miles. Like I must be broken. And right. Okay. Right. And we're going to dive into the shame here in just a second, too. But okay.
2: that, so you got that. The why is very yes. important. And then it's the how, which is your perceived capability. And so this is actually kind of fun. And when I am coaching somebody on their goals, I always make sure that they are setting smarter goals. Okay. And that is our version of the goal setting system. That's the basis, but it's all grounded in this research of the why and the how. And so we have the SMART goal as a foundation, but that is just a very small part. That's just getting started because... The E and the R we're adding to make it smarter is an execution plan. So that's where the how and the perceived capability really gets boosted there. And then a reason why, which is obviously the perceived value. And when you capture those, when you make a good execution plan, you got an accountability partner, you forecasted obstacles and preemptively struck with solutions. And if I'm trying to lose weight, I know the snack cupboard is going to be an issue. I'm just going to lock that. If you get a good execution plan in place, what happens is those two factors, those two key ingredients are really at the forefront
0: of your mind and is making your goals smarter and helping you stay driven toward your... Okay. So I love this. I love... And I, again, I'm laughing to myself because I know that when we were even working together on that first round of putting your course together, you would say smarter goals. And I don't think I ever really paid attention. And I feel so... It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It really is. So hopefully the things I said at that time were in alignment with... the. Uh, it oh, 100%.
2: 100%. So yeah, that's really what it boils down to is people, they set these goals, but they're not thinking through the perceived value and capability. And inevitably, that's going to decrease your drive levels. And it's interesting because we've all spent time in in these different emotional states. When you perceive value, but you don't perceive capability, when the how seems hard, then you're discouraged, You want something, but you can't get it. But if you flip that as well, maybe the how is not the problem. Maybe you it's part of your job. This happens in corporate America. I saw a lot of this in Chicago where the goal is just given to you, right? There's the social compliance Uh, creeping in, and you know you can do it. It's part of your job description. But the why is not made clear to you. You don't see what's in it for you. And so your perceived value is not there. And in those cases, you're disengaged. So we spend a lot of time in these discouraged and disengaged states. And what we need to be doing is regrounding in the why and the how and that perceived value capability to stay driven toward our goals. So I'd say that's why a lot of people have bad experiences with their goals. And
0: what I like that you're saying there too is then others might say your why is because you get a paycheck. And I feel like that again is honestly, that is a socially compliant because yes, it is wonderful to get a paycheck. But I work with a lot of people that come into my office that that get really good paychecks, but they absolutely feel disengaged or do not like their job. And it is so wild. I can think of two people right now that they say, no, I shouldn't complain, Shooting on themselves, that they make (laughs) a lot of money and they only work a few hours a week. And, but it's when they don't have a sense of purpose, they don't feel like there is a reason or a connection. Then that is not, it is not the euphoric thing that I think we dreamt of as kids, where I just want to, get paid a lot of money and play video games i mean okay. I'd literally i literally had somebody that was a video game tester i will never forget this they got their quote dream job and they immediately were put on a testing a dora and her backpack game and they that's just touched so that over and over and over and they got so tired of her backpack and boots a little monkey and whatever and so you know there wasn't that value really or that really sense of purpose or connection in there yes and that's a huge problem and a lot of people will unfortunately look at
2: compensation or yeah. the salary as the why, but it's a hygiene factor. If you're familiar with that <laughs> concept, it's no. Like, what is that? If, so okay, so hygiene factor, and that's where compensation falls. If you show up and you haven't showered, if you show up to a party and you stink. Yep. People are going to notice, right? Yes. If you show up and you don't stink, nobody calls that out. No one says, hey, congratulations, Neil. You don't stink today. <laughs> and that's where the compensation lies. It's If it's not high enough, you notice, but you could get paid, and there's probably a breaking point at absorbing amounts of money, but... There, there's a point where it's just the hygiene factor. It's, yeah, you need to pay the bills and your pay is getting it there, but it's not noticeable and it doesn't really light your soul on fire.
0: So that's kind of... I know, I love it. I, I remember way back in the day, one of the first the early podcasts I did was this one about this money buy you happiness. And the research, the formula was pretty amazing where it was a fairly low number that was then the, I don't know, let's say, I don't, even want to, I don't want to say what a low number. This is where it like privilege. You know, Neil, it's only like <laughs> a million and a half dollars. Do you believe that? <laughs> there was a the number. But then it was, then there was the exponential happiness factor was not much more after a certain. Yeah, and I have some of the most wealthy people I've ever worked with are miserable because they, yes. they don't know connection or sense of purpose. That's right. And it doesn't go a very long way if you're, if
2: that is... What you're relying on is your why, your perceived value. It's not going to last. And that's where I was in Chicago. I was was making good money, but I wasn't happy because of that misalignment and that social compliance. So, yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind. And this might be a good segue into the shame topic, which you, I I just listen to you, shut up and say, you go on this, but it's interesting because. And you mentioned this, a lot of people set goals. And then when they start wobbling on those goals, they're not hitting the milestones. They start to feel that shame that in, and the shame defined as inherent incapability, right? Or incompetence. That's kind of, Mm. I am incapable. That shame really creeps in. And it's so important. There's a few things we do in Achievement Tribe to kind of mitigate that. Again, it's all based on things I learned from you and social compliance. But A, it's first finding that alignment. And what I encourage people to do is a life map to really get clear on their goals. And I know you have a similar exercise that you do with your clients to to find their goals, their value-based goals that yeah. they can kind of look to. And once you get that defined kind of at a high level, you're like here's what I want my life to look like in each category. Then you start taking... Action toward that life map and making sure that your goals are aligned with it. Because if there's not that alignment, obviously you got to ask yourself, okay, is this a social compliant thing? Which that's a hard conversation to have. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, maybe on people yeah. you work with, where trying to be better for a spouse, for example, that's at base value, that's a very noble endeavor. But if you can't really dig deep and find the why in it for yourself, I think you're still going to struggle as long
0: as it's just to make somebody else happy. Is that fair to say? Oh, it's, Neil, that is now, it is fun because I'm enjoying this interview so much. And now when you were saying those things, my, my marriage therapist brain just went into high gear because I, in even the last probably couple of months, I've been really hyper-focused on the concept of the need for external validation. And so it's that, yeah, I'm doing it because I, I don't feel very good about myself or my marriage. So I want my spouse to make me feel better about my myself. Yeah. So what's the way to do that? To ask them, well, just tell me what you need me to do. Because <clears throat> and, 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 that will make you happy. And then by you being happy, then that will make me happy. And there's right. too, many, too many variables there. And that's where I start talking about things get into this checkbox version of a marriage. And yep. you told me to do these three things and now you aren't jumping up and down for joy. So now I don't feel very good and I did the things you asked me to. And so you can see how far out in the weeds we get from an actual connection. And that's where in the marriage course that, that you helped us with so much is the four pillars of a connected conversation allow people to have those conversations. But I really do feel like you're on to something so much. I had someone challenge that in my office a couple of weeks ago. And so I always wanna be as open and vulnerable as I can because they did say that, At one point they were, they were, their marriage was not healthy and they were in essence forced to learn these four pillars. So they did say it was, it felt like more of a checkbox item. I will do this for you, but, and now they speak four pillars fluidly and their marriage is really, it's going really well. And so I did, I appreciated that, but I said, okay, but you were also looking at that with curiosity. And saying, OK, I, I don't know what I don't know, but I also reserve the right to be able to communicate about if this isn't something that is in align, alignment with my values. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. So anyway, I love your point because I feel like when you were saying that can be a really difficult thing, that life map or figuring out what really means matters to you is is I, I do see the difficulty at first because that first layer when somebody goes through that, I don't think they're even aware that they're still doing things because they that's what they're supposed to do. And so, and I'm having another really funny moment in my mind now. I remember a couple of the calls where you would talk about the life map and you would bring it up on the screen and I would act like I'm somewhat paying attention and, oh, I dug your life map. I really did. And it was one of those things where I (laughs) thought I should probably do that. But then I thought, I don't know if I want to confront those things right now. I'll just do it later. I've got all these other things I got to do because it's a great exercise because I really feel like it is hard to self-confront and I can, and I want to sound, I want it to sound so easy. So I want to say, but it really doesn't need to be as hard as we make it out to be. Because even when we're doing the what do I really care about, we still don't even realize we have to be able to step outside of our ego. But I always say that you have to have your hand, though, over on you. You have to realize that, oh, there still is an ego. So I'm stepping outside of it to be able to take a look and see, man, why do I believe that? And yes. to be honest with myself, and why do I believe that? Yes. Is it because... That is how I got validation as a kid oh, or, or that's how I have been recognized. If I, I love speaking and I always thought that all I would want to do is speak all over the world and everybody tell me it's awesome. But then the more I would do it, I love the speaking, but it turns out I don't want people to tell me it's awesome because I feel uncomfortable. you need to <laughs> self confront and say, what is it about yourself of why you like the things you do or why you care about the things you care about? And I feel like it's hard to not do that with the man, should I be thinking this or should I not? And I always say, you got to reframe it and just say, check this out. Like this, these are my thoughts and these are my experiences. Yep. So let's take a look at them with without that judgment and with more curiosity. Because that shame stuff creeps in. And then when the shame yep. stuff, and I really feel, sorry, now I'm on a roll. So I've always oh, got yeah. this year. But the shame stuff I've been thinking about a lot more and more. So yeah, we would talk about the path back stuff. I always say that I'm o for 1600 now of working with individuals where shame was a component of recovery. And yet, why do we continue to beat ourselves up? And if that was the answer, boy, we would all be perfect at this point. So it's apparently not the right. answer. But I've been thinking lately and I have no data to back this up. So that's why I, I, you know, but I really, I've been thinking a lot about when we beat ourselves up. I wonder if that's the, when we were younger and we were seeking external validation, one of the ways we would get it is if we would say, man, I'm horrible or I'm dumb or I'm no good. And somebody would inevitably say, Hey bud, you're okay. No, you can do this. Yeah. We'd be like, Oh, that makes me feel better because of what you said. And now I feel like we've almost internalized that as we get older. And so we're beating ourselves up and nobody's there to rescue us because we're not going to have that self-compassion. So that's just theory. Oh, oh,
2: no. You said so many awesome things there that just so important to understand, especially from the angle of and curiosity. What a powerful attribute. I love that you brought that up because if you can lean into that curiosity, have that fuel new things and even something we found as well, that's really helpful with mitigating the shame and the goal setting process is to really, really make sure you're getting everyone's hands off the steering wheel is the first thing. And this is actually a concept my brother-in-law guy introduced me to. And it's there's so many hands on your steering wheel of life. And especially when you're life mapping, I always tell people it's so important to get those hands off. And sometimes you don't even realize they're there. You mentioned this, right? Like, Like my mom's hand is there. She loves me. She's been there for me. It's She's great. I love her. I'm okay. But that hand is still on the steering wheel calling the shots in your subconscious mind. And so it's so important with love to get these hands off the steering wheel so that you can be in the driver's seat and you can determine and do that soul surging. And it can be uncomfortable confronting that. What do I really value? And once you get the hands off the steering wheel, there's this moment of, whoa, who am I? Sometimes there's like this identity crisis that accompanies yes. that experience. But it's so important to do that because until you do... You you don't even realize it. You're just setting, whether subconsciously or consciously, these socially compliant goals that are not aligned with your core values. And so I love that you brought that in. One other quick thing on mitigating shame the goal-setting process that we found helpful is looking at lead measures and lag measures and making sure that we understand the difference. And for anyone who's not familiar with that concept, a lag measure is the outcome of your actions where the lead measure are the actions that lead to that outcome. So for example. So an example? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So a really common example. Somebody sets a goal. They say, I want to lose 15 pounds. Okay. That is an outcome. Okay. But there are lots of lead. So that the lag measure, there are a lot of lead measures that result in that outcome of losing weight. So exercise, eating right, doing all the things. And what we found is when you focus on the lag measure, it's, There are a lot of things even outside of your control and that lead measure, everything leading up to the outcome that can really derail you. And if you're focusing, you're saying, Man, I want to lose this weight, but then you know a family member dies, or then Christmas rolls around, or you have some kind of health condition that comes up and you're bedridden. There's a lot of things that can happen where that lag measure deteriorates and doesn't become a goal. And so I really help people focus on those lead measures. What are you in control of? that you can do. You can be in control of what you eat. You can be in control of how much you exercise or whatever, you know, even in there, there's some nuance, but, but you got to focus on these lead measures because that's easier to fill in control. And then, then I always see better lag measures and better outcomes when we focus there first. And that helps with the shame as well in mitigating that inherent incompetence. So that was just another
0: concept. No, Neil, I love it. I actually just wrote that down because I feel like that describes. And maybe if I can workshop this with you, maybe as you guys said in the improv world, I don't think that's maybe what you really called it. (laughs) But I really like this, and I will. I overuse. I'll go back to the reading example. I do my push-up example constantly, and I feel like I want a different example. But the reading one, I really can think of the person specifically who said, "I'm going to read 12 books in a year." And honestly, as we kind of alluded to earlier, that I, boy, I just want to bless their heart because I feel like. I don't know what the percentage would be of people that aren't going to accomplish that. It sounds great. So that would be the right. the lag measure is 12 books. And yep. so then the, but the lead measure is it is, I mean, it's doing the, it's reading. I mean, that it's the actions you can do. And then I feel like in my world, I often want to then find the, like you say, the why. So the value. So if it's a, if there's a value of knowledge, because if it's just, I want to read books and if I explore that, especially with this person, it wasn't necessarily, but with others, Why do you want to? Well, because I've heard that a well-read person is smart or is all the leaders I've heard about like to read. So then if that's the case, it is absolutely a socially compliant goal. I'm doing it because I think that I should, or it will make me a better person. And so then when you have other things going on in your life and that isn't a real value, then here comes that thing. I know we would talk about experiential avoidance. And so I'm just going to check my email first. Even I'm going to do things that I think are pretty productive. I'm going to I'm going to go, I've got a, someone I was talking with recently where they will even say, no, I'm going to go help my wife. And that is an amazing thing. But then it's experiential avoidance because we've really yep. identified that it's because they really don't care about the goal that they set or the mechanism to get there. So that reading one, right? So then I often say, okay, let's identify a value. And this person had a value of knowledge. So how do they want to acquire knowledge? Reading. So it doesn't even have to be, it can be uh, articles, right. it can be magazines, it can be whatever, So then it's the, so they set this goal of, I'm going to read something every day. And I thought that was brilliant. And then they said, well, how long? And I was like, I don't know if you, and that's where I felt like I I struggle where somebody says, well, even if they say, well, I'm just going to do it 10 minutes a day. And my brain still immediately goes to, oh man, there are going to be days where you're not going to do it for 10 minutes. And then you're going to slip into that. What is wrong with me? And then, and then I feel like, so this is the thing where I felt like you and I, created something special do you remember it was the get back on the horse concept yes get back on the saddle plan yeah 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 that's right okay do you want to talk about that
2: yes because this is actually a really powerful tool as well that we use in achievement tribe and that is you know you're not always going to be on your a-game that is a fact and when you wake up and if you had a rough night's sleep whatever you ate something you shouldn't you can have an off day and it's important to have a game plan for those off days to get you back on the saddle. And so what we do is we have, and this is something we developed together as well yeah. that I, I really love is you just say, okay, I'm going to outline the immediate five steps that I can t- to get back on the saddle. If I'm feeling off that th- get rid of the shame, just say, Laura, how to recognize your off days and your off Mm -hmm. moments. And especially if you're really trying to overcome something and you have a a slip up or a setback, you eat something you shouldn't, you do something you're not supposed to. It's so important to have that in place so you can say, it's time to get back on the saddle. And and there's this concept as well of activation energy that Sean Aker's huge on, which I love. And that's basically how much effort is it going to take to do something? And if you can reduce the friction, you can reduce that activation energy, then it, you're making success inevitable. So you, you want to reduce the friction for the things you want to do and increase the friction with the things that you're trying to steer away from. And so that's what the get back on the saddle plan is. It's reducing the friction and activation energy. You know, when you have an off day or an off moment, you know exactly what to do. And it can just be this way, again, psychologically, your brain can just go through this little list, check it off, and get back on the saddle and get a quick win. That's a huge concept as well that's so powerful. Is just when you need some momentum, get those quick wins in. Even if it's just shooting somebody a text or an email or just one little task, just get in a quick win and that can help you get momentum to get back on the saddle.
0: No, I mean, I love that you've taken, you've even added so much more to it. And I really, I love that about the way that you took this concept and then you added these steps, which I think is so powerful. I, the reading example is for somebody listening would be then, cause inevitable, yeah, things happen and we go three or four days and now I haven't even read anything. Then we have Mm -hmm. a, we typically then will say again, it's like, what is wrong with me? I can't even, I can't even just read, even though I haven't set 12 books or whatever. I really must be bad. And so we were, we would talk about, Oh no, when you were aware of it, then note it like, okay, that's a thing. I missed three days. Interesting. Yep. And that's some pretty powerful stuff. And then it's like, I love what you're saying. And then I've got this, I get a quick win. I've got these steps I can turn to. We haven't even talked about this. I'm doing this one on the fly, but this is where I love and act the concept of expansion. So then one, cause I, once I'm aware and then I do have these steps you're talking about and I'm, and I want the quick win. My brain is probably still going to fight me a little bit and say, well, yeah, it's been three days or I don't even want, I'm not, I don't want to do it. How about that old man? You know And then (laughs) expansion is saying totally. Yeah, I don't, I know that I don't want to do it and I'm going to invite not wanting to do it to come with me while I go down this list. And I'm like, boy, that is, that is a powerful thing because then I love your concept of a quick win because it's almost like when the brain sees the quick win and you did it even though you didn't want to, then it, it has to give you a little credit. I mean, that's where your brain's like, okay, I'll give you that one. You just wait. I got to interrupt. One other just quick thing here
2: as well is if you have an accountability partner, a very powerful concept between this, just getting over those failures and the shame is something we bake into the experience in Achievement Tribe is you get partnered up with somebody and you come up with an incentive or penalty, however you want to look at it, so that if you have your focused habit for that week that you're trying to do every day, and you don't come through on it, or you don't check in with your accountability partner, there is just a little slap on the wrist that is a, you know, some people do $2 Venmo, yeah, 2 bucks or whatever. And it's interesting, at first glance, it's like, oh my gosh, my shame alarm's going off. But what we found, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts real quick on this, if you have any, is that failed, you didn't come through on your habit for that day. But then if you just, you get that little slap on the wrist, it really empowers you to say, hey, I paid my dues I now I can just move forward with no shame. It's like, yeah, I, I didn't come through, but we already agreed that if I didn't come through, I'd give you this little, you know, I'd send you a song on iTunes or whatever. Yeah. And anyway, that's been a really effective tool as well for mitigating shame. It's just kind of these little flap on the wrist and it just allows you to say, okay, I paid the price. Let's move forward. No,
0: so I like it. I I was stifling back funny jokes in my head that I, right there about, uh, I was going to try to work something into. Wait a minute, the iTunes songs, like Neil used to tell me, hey, I'm going to, I don't know, share my childhood photos or whatever, lop off my little finger or whatever. So apparently that's evolved now. So it's just much more tangible, but I couldn't get it out. It doesn't sound as funny as I wanted it to. I I love the the principle though. It's so good because I feel like this does harken back to the, we want, now ideally, I would love for somebody to be an absolute Zen master and just be present and whatever, but that isn't reality. So do want a little bit of a, I did. I'm good. We do. And that's where I feel like we sometimes we need to accept the fact that we really as much as I'm talking about, oh, we don't have to have this need for external validation. Sometimes it's the we need a little bit of that. I love the friction or we need a little bit of something. So I I do like that. Okay, no, you know what? I want people to just accept it and move on. But I feel like having a little accountability piece there does help us say, no, I'm good. And maybe that is the little bit of a reset that you need just enough to keep moving forward. So I love that.
1: emotions flying past, our heads and out the other end, the pressures of the daily grind, it's wonderful, elastic waste and rubber ghost, I'm floating past the midnight hour, they push us out.